0: I just want to give a quick, brief intro about Rob, if you don't yet know Rob. So yes, he uh, gives oversight to all things technology, all things wireless, all things computer oriented and lights, and sound, and this building, and every building, but he also has a deep passion for the local church. Uh, I, one thing that I was very uh, shocked when I first came here on staff, I sh- shocked but just like always so impressed about you, is that what you see with Rob here uh, is just a portion of his ministry and a, sm- a part of it, not the whole thing. He is always, always it seems like, involved in church transitions and caring for and serving local churches uh, who are going through a lead pastoral transition. He just completed one at Harvest City in Vancouver. And uh, you've been through a few. Uh, a few and uh, always appreciated that so much about you and your ministry. So, God bless you as you share.
1: Keep it up. <laughs> Am I on? Okay, there you are. Now I can hear myself. Yeah, I can hear the ring. Good. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, the description for this series left me with several dump trucks full of stuff that I could share. Uh, The wise will listen, so it's up to you whether you get anything at all out of this. That's that's your thing. Uh, Yeah, I have. Do I need to move it closer so you're not ringing? Or maybe you can just kill the monitors, maybe that would help, yeah, there we go. So I have worked with a lot of excellent leaders over the years. Uh, I started out as a new Christian, saved out of drugs, alcohol, gang life in East Van. And my pastors were Bernice Girard and Velma Chapman. So it used to be, I would say, if you don't know who they are, ask your parents. I think now it's ask your grandparents. <laughs> but they'll, they'll fill you in. Uh, because Bernice was pretty much a household name through television and radio for years, not just in the Lower Mainland, but nationally. And uh, my role there, uh, this explains the tech stuff, I was operations manager for television and radio for many years, I was associate pastor at the church. But that wasn't obviously where I started. Uh, The church was Fraser View Assembly when it was founded, it's now called Harvest City Church. And as I said, we did radio and TV for many years, both on a regional basis as well as nationally. And when I say I worked with Bernice and Valma, I would say they were and continue to be the main reference for my ministry. Uh, we spent a lot of years together. I learned a lot from them. They are, or were, they both passed on now, uh, really kind of like the godparents for our kids. That's how close we were. And we used to have a kind, of a kind of a joke. I was an only child. My parents are from somewhere else. Child of conflict, born here in Canada. Uh, and uh, So I don't really have any family except for the family I married. That is my wife and my kids. And so when the three of us were ministering together, Velma was a widow and Bernice was an orphan. So it was the two orphans and the widow. That was our ministry. Velma, or sorry, Bernice was an amazing preacher. Uh, You know, we're trying to gather some little bits and pieces to release on uh, Facebook or somewhere so people can appreciate that. But, you know, she was so much more. She was... uh, councilman for, that's what they called them in those days, for the city of Vancouver. Uh, She was vice mayor. She founded uh, the chaplaincy work at UBC and SFU, Pentecostal chaplaincy, first Pentecostal chaplaincy in North America. When you read her account, it's almost accidental because she was there and she recommended to the PAOC that they appoint a chaplain and they basically said, Okay, (laughs) you're it. (laughs) So be careful what you suggest. Uh, Velma was also a great preacher. They traveled together with Velma's sister for years, uh, the McCall-Gerard trio, uh, three lady preachers all over the place. They brought Pentecost to places that had never seen Pentecost. They had never seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit that was really their ministry but the one thing that I really cherish about Velma in terms of ministry was I think that she could pray just about anybody through to the baptism of the Holy Spirit it was like it's a gift that I cherish that I don't seem to have we had one night uh, we used to have evening services anybody remember that old people in the back remember that yeah, I'm, by the way, I'm pointing to Wilf and Riku and Mark. <laughs> There's some over here, but I won't name them. <laughs> so at the end of this service, a couple came to the altar, like brand new, didn't know anything really about anything. And Valma and I ministered to them. And so Valma leads them both to Jesus. He was working for the federal government. He was literally within days of being fired because of alcohol abuse. And he was just released from that whole issue. Their marriage, like they literally were like that and considering divorce. Their marriage was reconciled right there. And they were both baptized in the Holy Spirit and experience God's power. Now that wasn't just like that night. That guy served on our board for many years. His wife helped us start the daycare at the church. Like it was a lasting work. It was a powerful transformation that happened literally right in the same footsteps. So these are the moments that I just really remember about Velma particularly. They were intense learning environments, to say the least. And I've just skimmed the surface. Like, you know, how do you want to starve while I tell you everything? <laughs> so my rule of thumb is if the band goes overtime, I get double the overtime. Okay. <laughs> so we had a large ministry team at the time. We had 13 pastors on staff as well as support staff. And many of them were were veteran people that were just an absolute wealth. It's impossible to really uh, share exactly how all of those people and our interactions uh, impacted me. And, yeah, I've been through a number of pastoral transitions. Uh, I've seen trouble, and I have been involved in solving the trouble. Now, that makes it seem like churches always have trouble, uh, but that's not true. Uh, Just to say that those situations were intense learning environments. Uh, They helped me understand congregational dynamics and they've also helped me to understand leadership in times of conflict. One of the pastors that I worked with was Ron Osmond. Uh, He came to us from Newfoundland at Harvest City Fraser View Church and we had had uh, a difficult transition. Uh, He told me about his experience pastoring a particular church in Newfoundland. Uh, He was kind of between pastorates. And uh, by the way, in Newfoundland, every two years, they have a vote of confidence on the pastor. No pressure. (laughs) So he just finished in this one church, and the district said, well, there's this other church over here that we would really like you to be the interim pastor of. By the way, always be careful when the super, if the superintendent phones you and says something like that. Uh, there was a church that I was interim at where he phoned me and he said, I need you for about eight Sundays. So two and a half years later, we were done. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> uh, in this case, uh, the church in Newfoundland that he was called to, uh, they'd had a church split, but nobody left. Oh, yeah. Yeah right (laughs) took a moment right just oh (laughs) so he uh he was there for a while and then the district asked him if he would put his name forward as the lead pastor and that's like really not normal should I use that handheld just just mute this I only have trouble yeah you have to unmute this one that's right yeah so he objected, because it's not usually done. It's unfair to other people who may have an interest in being the pastor of the church. But the district pressed him, and they said, okay. He said, okay. And so they had a vote, and he got, I think it was like 53%. So good, strong vote, right? <laughs> and um, he said, well, I'm, you know, obviously I'm not going to take it. It doesn't fall within the parameters. They said, no, 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 no. Please take it. And so he did. And then a couple of years later, they had another vote, and he was at like 64. And again, he said to the district, you know, this is really (laughs) not right. No, 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 keep going. So third year, he's in the 70s, or third vote, he's in the 70s, fourth vote, he's in the 80s. And then by the time they were really ready to leave there, the last vote of confidence was like 97%. So I asked him, how exactly do you pastor a church where at least half the people really don't want you to be the pastor? Seemed like a valid question to ask. And so he used an illustration. He talked about the three-ring circus. Now, he was not referring to the church as a circus. Although, come to think of it, no, we won't go there. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these big tent circuses, but in the middle is a big ring. And then there are usually a couple of smaller rings on the side. And so how it works is the main act, the star act always happens in the center ring. And then the secondary acts, the lesser known or the in-between acts, you know, they, they happen in the other rings and they often perform while preparations are being made for the main act. And so this, so how is the church like the three ring circus? Well, the center ring is always reserved for the gospel. Always reserved for the gospel. The preaching of the gospel, the discipling of new converts, the education of Christians, the mentoring of leaders, the ministry to the sick and to those in need, These are the only things that ever deserve to be in the main center ring. Now, you're always going to have problems. You know, things happen. You have difficult people. Sometimes you have disputes and controversies. Uh, And you always need to deal with these things in an honest and straightforward, ethical manner, you know, just, just as, as well as you can. But they're always in the other rings. You never let them climb in the big ring. You never let them have center stage. Very, very important. So this is really important for me in terms of learning. It's a lesson, this lesson and his example have really carried with me for years And it's very important in terms of ministry to understand this. When I finally left our home church, uh, we spent some time in Ontario, and then uh, I became the lead pastor at a church in a mining town. And it was a church whose entire history was conflict and division. As a matter of fact, I had pastor friends who phoned me and said, Don't take that church, they destroy pastors. I disagree in terms of experience. I think that some of those people carried their own trouble in, but that's another story. Yeah, that happens too, you know. The church was 10 years old, and I was their fourth pastor. And our experience of working with Ron uh, through difficult seasons and real conflict had really equipped us for the task. It wasn't just, you know, how to do it but it was faith. We had gone through some very difficult times at Fraser View, and he had led us through, and we had seen God revive the church and renew the church. You know, my first instinct when all the trouble brewed at the church was, well, I'm going to leave. We'll just let the new pastor look after things. And a dear friend of mine pulled me aside and said, yeah, and where would the church be? If all of the good people left every time there's a problem. So we stayed. And we saw the renewal. And we saw how things changed. Yeah, there were a lot of struggles. And trust was hard to regain. You know, we had a church for a while there where people just didn't really share with each other like they used to because they weren't sure. You know, I'm not sure whether you're on his side or his side, right? So there's, there was this always, kind of this weird thing going on, dysfunctional family. But over time, God began to move, and that began to fade, and really wonderful things were happening. If I hadn't gone through that, when we got into that mining town, we'd have been gone in a year. It was tough. It was a tough place to pastor but we had seen it happen. You know, we knew, the, we knew the principle. We knew about the circus, and that's what we did. We put the gospel front and center. We preached the gospel. We loved on people. We helped people who were in trouble. We, our first water baptism service, we had about a dozen people water baptized in the coldest water you can imagine. Like when I stepped in, every bone in my body ached right away because the hot water heater wasn't working and they hadn't checked. (laughs) So it wasn't just like, oh, pastor, it might be cold. They just, there was no warning at all. We had a guy who was being water baptized. He had emphysema. He got into the tank and he started going, I thought he was having a heart attack. (laughs) I looked at him and I said, are you okay? He goes, just get it over with. (laughs) That's an aside. <laughs> but really, our ability to pastor in that situation was all due to this mentoring leader who just, he didn't just talk about it and teach it, but he demonstrated it by the way he led. You know, there's one other thing that I really want to speak to you about. It's not about a person who influenced me. When I was a new Christian, several of my friends encouraged me to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that there's, you know, this is a mixed crowd. I've had this experience for years. 20 years now, Dave counts. So, you know, I know that some of you have come here, and maybe you come from a church where anything to do with Pentecostalism was really weird and maybe toxic. And then there are others, you know, you come and well, I don't know whether I care about that. And others, you've had people whispering in your ears all kinds of, you know, topics about, you know, why not and why shouldn't and all this stuff. Let me tell you, this is so important. I'm so sorry if you've had a negative experience in this. Please, God, help people get over this to really receive what you have for them. I was... Really messed up. I had done drugs for years, psychedelic drugs, and alcohol. Just I was an industrial drinker. I don't know that you know what that is. It was my personal duty to drink as much hard liquor as any human being could possibly do. But it didn't really affect me in the traditional sense. It made me mean. So that's just the picture you need in your mind. I had all kinds of lingering issues in my life. I had no idea what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. I just knew there's some people that I knew and I trusted and I liked who said, I need it, you should ask God for it. So that was good. I had no idea what to expect. I sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit for several months, more than a year actually, I think. And finally, I was in a meeting with this evangelist who, and he didn't even get to pray for me. I was flat on my back speaking in tongues. And I actually had difficulty speaking in English for several days. Uh, I was working graveyard shift, and so I would go to work, and I would basically avoid people because (laughs) I wasn't sure what might come out of my mouth if I started talking to them. I would wake up speaking in tongues. It was this overwhelming experience. But, you know, that's usually where people's story ends. You know, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it was wonderful, and it's great, and you should do it too. But I want you to understand that of all my Christian experience, that was the most important thing that ever happened in my life, except for receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. I say that because I now really have this clear understanding of what that's all about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of God in the believer's life. It is crucial. It is given specifically to empower effective witness. If you doubt me, please follow me as I provide the scripture to back this up. Luke twenty four twenty nine. Jesus commanded his disciples, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then again in Acts 1, 4 to 5, he repeats, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 1 8, he explicitly states the purpose. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God Jesus made the direct, explicit connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and empowered witness. He's the one that said it. Yeah, not somebody in the early 20th century or some person in the 19th century who was writing something. Jesus said it. He is the one who commands it. He is the one who gives it. It is directly tied to his command, to his church, to preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. That's what it's about. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is said to be tongues. Okay, sure. As long as you emphasize the initial aspect of tongues as evidence. That's just kind of what happens in that moment, you know. But that's not the baptism. This is not the major evidence for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The major evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a powerful witness. That's what emerged from the apostles and the early Christians because the Spirit came on the church. They turned the world upside down with their preaching. That was an accusation from people from other religious groups, These people who turned the world upside down are now here. So why do you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Please, please, please don't reduce this. This, which is so important to, I need to speak in tongues so I can get a job in the PAOC. Please. Don't laugh. I've heard that. We want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you can stand and you can witness and you can face opposition and you can powerfully, effectively minister with true anointing and bring the gospel message to a lost world. And by the way, there's no escaping it. Without Jesus Christ, people are lost. You know, I'm not, I'm not a hell and brimstone preacher. I don't preach that stuff. But I carry that in my heart as a conviction. It drives me. People are lost without Jesus. We want you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. We want you to move effectively in ministry gifts of the Holy Spirit, not to entertain Christians, but to effectively present the gospel in this troubled age. Did you know that God did not give the gifts of the Spirit so you can have a happy time in the church? I mean, it's exciting. I'm not, I'm not against that. I love a great worship service where the Spirit's moving, but that's not what it's about. We are eager for God to work in you and through you powerfully. Yes, I know, you are all so smart that you probably don't really need this. By the way, I've heard that too. Now, you've got this old guy talking to you about something quaint. Th- maybe some of you think that this should all be done away with, all this talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues. Why make such a fuss? Well, we make the fuss because we have seen the church without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we know what that looks like. And it's not attractive, it's carnal. It's messy. It's not a pretty picture. You know, in the early days, I I hope you don't sleep through Dave's class on history of Pentecostals. You need to understand that every time he mentions a leader, and and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. You know what's behind that? Thousands of people having incredible revolutionary experiences because the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Yeah, we focus on the leaders because they're strategic and we kind of mark the time, but you you need to understand what this is really all about. You know, a lot of the early Pentecostals, there was no Pentecostal church. And so they came from Baptist churches and Methodist churches and other churches and in a lot of those churches, what happened was you came in and you signed a card and you were water baptized and you became a member. And that was it. And a lot of these people thought that was salvation. I now belong to a church. I'm good. And then they went to some meeting or they were in some situation and the Holy Spirit came on them in power. Maybe some of them actually were, got saved in those situations yeah you know, i know one famous preacher he was in an amy Semple mcpherson meeting and he was a famous guy but he was a liberal he you know he taught philosophy and psychology and all that stuff and he ended up by accident as in he didn't want to sit there sitting literally in the front row behind the preacher and she gave her altar call and he stood up and his friend that he was with starts tugging on his sleeve and goes doctor price this is for sinners and he goes yeah, I know. <laughs> and then just a few days later, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like he's transformed. And so people look at their past experience and they go, if this is knowing Jesus, what was that? You know, there was a, in some cases a little animosity. Because there was this feeling that church really shortchanged them, they really sold it short. They didn't give them the gospel. They didn't really tell them what it was about. That's that's happened over and over again. Like I passed through, as a minister, I was part of the Charismatic Renewal. Our church was a center for Charismatic Renewal in Vancouver, Catholics and others who were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Later, uh, we hung around with John Wimber and Vineyard people and, and, and watched and observed. And it was the same thing. People coming from churches. Churches that just hadn't really emphasized the gospel, coming into these powerful experiences and looking back at their church experience and going, what on earth was that all about? Yeah, important stuff. So pay attention in Dave's History of Pentecostal class. It's valuable. We just, we just did about, yeah, it was I think more than two months Uh, History of Pentecostal sermon series at uh, Harvest City Church. And the goal was to provide history, context, identity, understanding where we come from, understanding the things that are important to our movement. This is why we make a big deal about it. This experience comes to people in different ways. Some people receive it when they're prayed for at the altar, like I described my friends that... Uh, you know, got it all in one go. Others receive it in private. There's no template except for personal seeking. It needs to be something that you are seeking. For most people, it doesn't come right away. They're, this is something that is so personal. It is a very deep personal interaction between you and God. Let me tell you what Pentecost is all about. The day of Pentecost is about God's harvest in this world. We are so prone to make it about us. We make it about what happened to the apostles on the day of Pentecost and what happened to the groups and all of the people. But, you know, we really need to see this from the perspective of God's purpose. This is about harvest. It is about the work and the power of the Holy Spirit released through the church. The day of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar is about the early harvest. You know, they bring the sheaves and they wave them and say, thanks, Lord, we're really looking forward to a good harvest. So... Pentecost is about God's harvest in this world accomplished through his empowered church. Your personal baptism of the Holy Spirit is about you receiving power from God to be an effective laborer in his ongoing harvest in this world. It's not some weird little distinctive that a certain group uses to identify themselves. Now, in order to be a part of this group, you need to speak in tongues. Well you know what, we could just get t-shirts, you know, well, right, yeah, you know, and then, you know, maybe, maybe the other guys have better t-shirts, who knows, you know, or in the old days, we would say, well, we'll just issue everybody a smart blazer, you know, little crest on the side, right, <laughs> maybe a tattoo, that's current, right, except for tattoo regret, you know, oh, we changed the logo, oh, <laughs> We want you to be men and women who walk in God's power and can stand up for Jesus in this world no matter what you face. You know, we're in, you know, a fairly prosperous time right now, pretty peaceful. Even, you know, people talk about, you know, the virus thing and all the controversy and stuff like that. Wow, you should have lived through the 60s. Cities burning and armies on the street and even here in Canada you know we had our own little terrorism thing with I remember going with my dad downtown and there were tanks surrounding the courthouses and soldiers with guns you know turbulent times and when you look at what other Christians have passed through you understand why this is so intensely important for the church when we study the impact of the baptism of the Holy Spirit worldwide, it becomes clear that this is the point upon which so much of church history turns. In Singapore, there were brand new leaders for the Anglican and the Methodist church, and they felt the weight of their new responsibilities. They were the first native-born Singaporeans to hold such high office in these churches. They were highly educated experienced leaders and yet they felt their own inadequacies deeply and they began to seek God for his empowering in order to effectively carry out those responsibilities. His answer came to them personally in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. Those leaders led their respective churches in renewal and revival you know, Pentecostalism in Singapore is this incredible cross-denominational phenomena. It's not just, you know, a bunch of little assemblies of God churches, you know, hovering around the altar hoping for some blessing. It's, it's, it is a world-impacting movement. In Korea, during the season of conflict and the Civil War there, there was a new movement birthed. It was called the Prayer Mountain Movement was explicitly Pentecostal in its characteristics. This was a movement that sought God for the empowering of the church to take the gospel to a fractured nation. It's alive today. Not only were Assemblies of God churches and other Pentecostal groups impacted by this movement, but the Presbyterians and the Methodists of South Korea are in practice and in experience Pentecostals. They are are world-sending missionary organizations. They come here as missionaries. For years, there's been this thing called Love Corps that goes to the native reservations. Korean Presbyterians, spirit-filled Korean Presbyterians coming here and ministering in B.C. They are a powerful force for the spread of the gospel in this world. God comes In his empowering presence to fill in the cracks of our personal inadequacies. That's right, he fills it in. He adds more, of course. You know, he's generous. We always used to joke, it's a silly joke, you know, that Jesus would be a terrible waiter. You know, when he fills his coffee, your coffee cup up, it always overflows. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Lord. (laughs) But that's how he is, really. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is crucial to your spiritual life if you're going to go out in ministry. I don't care if it's in a PAOC church or anywhere. Seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus pours out his spirit on his followers, it's not just a sprinkle and a happy time. It is a tsunami of spiritual power that carries you along. It is an incredible inrush of his presence and anointing that carries you through tough situations and causes you to stand as his witness. It is his empowering provided to enable us to do the work which he has called us to. Seek him because you need him. You're not supposed to do his work in your own strength. That's what he told his disciples. You've got to think about this. Those people that he told to wait had already been sent out during Jesus' ministry, and they cast out demons, and they healed the sick, and we don't know, they might even have raised the dead. They had already experienced that in Jesus' ministry, and now he's saying, Wait because there's something coming and it's important. Jesus told his own disciples to wait. So don't go out and try and do it in your own strength. Now he tells them to wait after all they've experienced. How much more should we be obedient to this command? How much more should we be the obedient disciples who wait for his outpouring to be given to us personally. Let's stand. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for these students here today. And I just pray you bless them, Lord. We're all at different places. We're all processing things differently. We all have had different experiences which have impacted our understanding of of things. But, Jesus, I pray that you will come with your Holy Spirit and you will bring clarity. Oh, God, that you will bring renewal, refreshing, and revival to our campus, Lord. These students represent churches that have gone through trial, churches that have been shut down for months, churches that are struggling to restart, trying to figure out what their direction should be and how they should do things. We pray for them, Lord. We ask you, Father, Uh, Oh, God, that you will light a fire, a consuming fire. Oh, God, that you will come and you will fill in our inadequacies. Jesus, that you will speak through us, that you will minister through us. Jesus, that you will help us to be the soul winners, the wise ones. Oh, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.